Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, you have Kristen Guile and Maggie Umberger. Hi, Gina. Hi, Gina. Hi, ladies. How are you? Doing well. And Maggie, you interviewed Lee Kemp this week, right? I did. I, I interviewed Lee Kemp. He's a world champion wrestler who has a story unlike any we've ever heard from an athlete before, and it was not only eye-opening, but really inspiring to talk to him this week. One of the things with Lee is, unlike every other guest that we've had here on A Sweat Life, where we focus on goals that they've achieved, but with Lee, the conversation always has to include a goal that he actually missed out on, not through any fault of his own. Can you give the reader a little background of what goal he had to miss, not because of anything that he did, and maybe how that's still affecting him today? Lee is an incredibly decorated athlete. He has won so many titles as a world champion wrestler, and so he has so many accomplishments that he can speak to and that are really inspiring to hear as, as someone who would be a guest on our, on our podcast anyway. But the main story that we ended up talking about is one that was defining for him because it was a goal he missed out on. He did not get to go to the 1980 Moscow Olympics because of the U.S. boycott. And that was a goal for him and just hearing him outline it from his perspective of being such a world-class athlete and having the chance to go to compete at an Olympic level and he didn't get to go and it wasn't his fault. And so the aftermath of that was what we ended up talking about is a story of resilience, a story of finding a new path to success when what you thought was going to be your launching pad and envisioning some goal, having to rewrite the script and find success another way. And to hear Lee speak, it's sort of interesting because this is such a defining moment for him and it is a defining topic when he speaks to young athletes, when he speaks to athletes who are adult age, Maggie, do you think, do you get the sense from him that he ever got over it? I'm not sure that he did, and I don't even know how I would either. Like, putting myself in those shoes to be at that level of athleticism and be deprived of the opportunity to compete is a huge loss, and he talks about it as such, as, as a loss for him, because he never, it wasn't like he competed and lost the games, he just never got the chance to go, and so I don't think he's gotten over it, but where he's pivoted and the things he's done since then have truly proven that he doesn't take no for an answer and that he's going to write his own success story no matter what. And I think that was the, the most inspiring piece of this talk. And so hearing that he went to grad school, hearing that he started his own business and that now he helps coach his son in wrestling. He's been to the 2008 Olympics as a coach and he's written a book. He will have a movie produced about him. There are so many avenues that he can st- still say are success stories for him. But I think the biggest takeaway really isn't even in a tangible goal, but it's the way that you have to respond to failure. And we all in our lives deal with that on a small scale and on a huge scale. We don't always talk about the things that go wrong. We talk about the big success stories and just looking at that as holding it up as this amazing accomplishment. And sometimes it's those moments of falling down that are way more defining and way more empowering to an individual and so that was what I was so grateful to talk to Lee about so openly. And it sounds like he learned a lot from that and so did you. So here is Maggie with Lee Kemp. Girl, I said I'll be on the road, I'll be back, I'm just reaching for a goal, so don't be upset when I'm not- 
So I'm here today on the We Got Goals podcast with Lee Kemp. And Lee, I'm going to try to say all your titles, but <laughs> I might get it wrong. So please correct me if I am. But you're a seven-time national champion who won three gold medals in the World Championships and four in the World Cup of Wrestling as well as two in the Pan American Games. So you're a champion wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I got that down. So how did you find that sport, and when did you realize that you might have the potential to be very good at it? You know, that, that's a good question because um, I started out playing basketball, you know, in seventh and eighth grade, and I started wrestling really late by today's standards. You know, most athletes or even people that are good at anything, you know, they start when they're six, seven, you know, four or five, if, if whatever, you know, whatever sport, gymnastics, swimming, wrestling. But I started only in ninth grade. Prior to that, I played basketball. And the reason why I got into wrestling, because I wasn't very good at basketball. And I, I made a good choice. I didn't grow, didn't get any taller, and, and maybe I wasn't, uh, I just wasn't very good. And so I found wrestling through some friends in high school who were wrestlers and the high school gym coach. He was the wrestling coach. So he was recruiting people to come out for the wrestling team. And back then we had wrestling in gym class. I don't think they do that anymore. I, I got in and the one lure that got me in is that the coach needed a 138 pounder and I weighed 138. So he threw me out there right away on the freshman team. So that, that's how I got started. The magic number, 138. <laughs> so usually on We Got Goals, we ask two big questions, one of them being, what's a big goal that you accomplished and how did you get there? Your story is very interesting because at the point where you earned your spot at the Olympics in the 1980 Games, you couldn't go to those games. They were boycotted. So I think that this is a really interesting point to talk about, A, the achievement of getting to that level, and B, how did you handle and how did you deal with that shift in your plans that totally wasn't your fault? You know, that's a complex question because of the boycott. The boycott just changed everything. I'm still not totally over that. But anyway, when I got into wrestling, I uh, was an average wrestler, as you can imagine. I just started, so I was just average. I had a 500 season the next year on varsity. And that summer, I met Dan Gable. And Dan Gable was like the Michael Jordan of wrestling. He was, he was just, you know, he was the best wrestler in the world. And the unique thing of that, of meeting him, it was the summer of 1972. That summer he went on to win an Olympic gold medal, and I had the chance to meet him when I was just my summer after my 10th grade year in high school. And he was so good that the Russians had made a declaration that they would find a Russian to beat him because they were the best in the world at wrestling, and here this American was beating them. And that was a big deal that they were gonna find a Russian wrestler to beat Dan Gable. And I was at this wrestling camp and there was Dan Gable and I was one of the, I was like 14 or 15 years old. And he talked about that a little bit, the pressure about that. And the thing he said that stuck with me, he said that anyone could be beaten. Doesn't matter if it's a Russian or not, you know, anyone could be beaten. So I'm setting my goals to beat this Russian and, and to win an Olympic gold medal. Doesn't matter if they're scouring their entire country to find a person to beat me. So that stuck with me. And the other thing that stuck with me was that he said to all the wrestlers there, any one of you could be champions. And so I'm like, even me? Wow. And we all hear that when we go to listen to motivational speakers or whatever, you know. They always say, if I could do it, you could do it, right? It sounds like a cliche now. But there's always one or two people in the audience that will actually believe it. And I was one of those people. And it's like, I could be a champion. Dan Gable said it. And the second thing he said is, anybody can be beaten. And the reason why that's important is because 
Right then, I set my goal to be like him, like Dan Gable. So I went home after the camp. It was just a week-long camp, and so I watched him win his gold medal on TV, on ABC. He was over in Munich, Germany. He beat that Russian, and he won the gold medal. No one scored a point on him. So he was just invincible in my mind. So I said, I want to be like him. I don't want to lose any more matches. I want to be just like Dan Gable. That was my goal. And the next two years, I went undefeated in high school and won the state title. And when I talk to wrestlers or I, when I give speeches and stuff, I talk to people. It's like, it's not, I didn't find a Superman cape in my closet when I got home. You know, I, I just didn't suddenly discover I was Superman. What happened was my thought process changed. My attitude changed. I started to act like Dan Gable. But when you do that, there's a lot of work that goes along with trying to be like him. There's a lot of wrestlers I coach, and I try to show them what they need to do to be a champion. And they look at me and go, like, well, I don't want to do that. I, I just don't want to commit that much to it. That's fine. We all pick our place in life where we want to be. Dan held nothing back in his training. I had a chance to watch him train at the camp, too. That's, by the way, too. I, got, I watched him run, lift. Where all the other kids after the session, they would go to lunch or whatever. I'd sit, forget lunch. I just wanted to watch this man train and and so I took in all that just I don't know what you would call it but just just by watching him train I, I started to understand the intensity that it took because I watched him I could see his face I could see the sweat I could see the toil I just started to understand what it was going to take to be as good as him so when I went back right away right when I got back from that camp I started training I started running lifting doing everything I saw him do and it, and, it, and it allowed me to win and go undefeated the next two years, get a scholarship to college and all that. But the important part of this story is that I wrestled Dan Gable less than four years after I met him as a sophomore in high school. We, we, fa we fast forward to the 76 Olympics. Uh, I was in college then. Dan had won it four years earlier in the 72 Olympics. He had retired, but he's making a comeback. And he entered this college tournament that I was in. And it was in November, so at the very start of my sophomore year, and Dan Gable's in my weight class. It was like a David and Goliath type of scenario. He was 26 or 27, and I was 18. And um, I wrestled him. And I used those two, two statements he made at that camp through my whole life after I met him, and I used those statements to beat him. He said, anyone can be beaten. Doesn't matter if it's Dan Gable. And he said... Lee Kemp, he didn't use my name, but he was telling all of us campers, any one of you could be champions. Any one of you could be just like me. So, so I, I approached that match with that mindset. And then going on to earn your spot at the Olympics when something seemingly unthinkable happened and President Jimmy Carter decided to boycott the 1980 Olympics. So how did you find out about that and how did you react to that moment? I mentioned Dan Gable again because he was the coach of that Olympic team. So Dan had the opportunity and I had the opportunity to be coached by him, to be mentored by him. That one match was just what it was. It was just one match. We became really good friends. He didn't wrestle anymore after that. He coached me a lot after that. But after I met Dan Gable, I wanted to be an Olympic champion. So at that moment, I knew I was going to be an Olympic gold medalist. Everything else was just stepping stones along the way. So I, I had a successful college career and, and all that. And Dan coached me to two world titles prior to the Olympic Games. In 1978, the year my senior in college, Dan was our USA coach, and I made our world team and our, our national team that competed in the Worlds, and I won the world championship. I was the youngest American to ever win 
I was 21 when I won the world championships then. And so for thir over 30 years, it took someone to win it as a younger person. Kyle Snyder was that individual. So he's one of our phenoms in wrestling today. And I won it the next year. Dan coached me. He was in my corner. I trained with him every day. So 80, he was the coach, and we were focused. I was focused. It was before the Internet, obviously, and all that. So just heard about it on, on the news. And Dan reached out to all of us and said, don't watch the news. We're, we're, we're going to Moscow. Don't just focus. Stay training. So I listened to him, and I said, okay. I just stayed focused and stayed training. And um, I couldn't, in my wildest imagination, think we were not going to go to the Olympic Games. That's unprecedented. I mean, even during one of the world wars we had the Olympic Games even when Hitler was doing you know all those horrible things we still had the Olympic Games in Germany you know so with all that knowledge and Gable kind of informed us that hey we're, we're we'll, we'll find a way to get there just keep training and um, and so I did eventually the inevitable happened our country through public statements that Jimmy Carter made I watched it and it was incredible. I mean, it was a big deal because he convinced not just, you know, America and the U.S. Olympic Committee because there was a vote that was taken, but he convinced like 20 or 30 other countries to not go to the Olympic Games. So one of my competitors, a West German, uh, he and I were uh, second. He, you know, I won it, and uh, he was second in the world championships. He was a very formidable opponent and he couldn't go either as an example in my particular weight class it was a lot just it was it affected a lot of people it was just horrible but and you know I equated I guess there's a lot of analogies you could make but probably one of the strongest ones that I use and it's pretty strong it's pretty harsh because I have children you know it's like losing a child or losing a loved one or I mean it's even stronger than a divorce because at least a divorce the person is still alive and they're physically there when there's a death when you lose a child or lose a spouse or lose a loved one they're no longer there well the olympics was no longer there it was gone there was it was no getting it back you can't get the time back you can't get the years back you can't get the training back and the olympics is gone i missed my opportunity in, in my mind i think of it as a, as a loss i have people they have to remind me lee you didn't lose the olympics you just didn't go and I still say why I wasn't an Olympic champion. There's times I'm in groups of other athletes that are Olympic champions, and you know, and there's photo, photo. You know, let's take some pictures. Let's all of us Olympic champions get a picture together. And I'm there, and I, and everybody kind of goes, and I'm just I can't go because I'm not an Olympic champion. And sometimes they say, oh, "Lee, come on, you can get in the picture too." And I, nope, I'm. I'm it just cir circumstance. Circumstance could have been I could have got hurt and couldn't gone. Or I could have got beat, which was hard for me to conceptualize at that time because I just felt I was ready and all that. But uh, sometimes life throws you something that you can't really understand, like a death, like a sickness, like any of the things I've just mentioned, but you still have to, to move on. I would say I've learned more from that. Obviously, it sounds corny, but by that huge disappointment because it forced me to have to figure out what to do and go on and what I did is I trained for another four years and at that time there wasn't any way to support yourself it, we were true amateurs when I was competing Michael Jordan wasn't playing in the Olympic Games and Serena Williams wasn't and I'm not criticizing that 
but that just didn't exist. The tennis players were the college players. The basketball, Olympic basketball team were the, the top basketball players. The moment you became a professional, you could not compete in the Olympic Games or any amateur. I mean, the Olympic Games is for amateur athletes, but I guess when America started to lose in basketball, they decided we got to recruit some of our star athletes to play. But, but anyway, that, that was, um, you know, it, it, I just can't even, uh, well, y you never get over a death. You never get over a loss like that, but you just still move on. Well, and the lesson that you had to learn, that you were forced to learn, because you were presented with a scenario that was totally out of your control, probably carries over into every other aspect of your life, I imagine. And so I, I think about how we all have to deal with all these struggles in life, like nothing is constant but change, and how you can have goals, you can set goals, but things will change, and you'll have to navigate those waters when they do. And so if you were to give some kind of advice to others who have wrenches thrown in their plans en route to their goals, what would you share with them based on what you learned? Well, the first thing is you, you can't quit. And when I say quit, I mean, that's a pretty broad term. I've seen people quit in the main thing they were trying to achieve, but they quit like in everything. You know, it's like, just because you didn't win that Olympic gold medal doesn't mean you can't go on and maybe go to graduate school or maybe go set another goal or maybe, I mean, you can think, you know, maybe start your career, whatever it is. And it's not all about making money. I've got some really good friends and really good mentors that were great high school coaches. I mean, they mentored young men and women through lots of different things. So the thing I, I had to figure out was that I needed to be successful still. I thought of myself as a successful person. The hard part was is that my image was this wrestler that was gonna be an Olympic champion. That's how I envisioned my success story was gonna start and not there but not stop there, but that was gonna be the, the launching pad for my success. Well, that launching pad wasn't there. That flight had took off and I wasn't on it. So I had to figure out another place that I could be successful. And I, I went to graduate school. I uh, worked hard at that. And school wasn't really something that I worked hard at when I was an undergrad. So I, I got an MBA and I went to work in New York City in marketing and started to focus on just developing other skills. I was a business owner. I owned a car dealership for 14 years. And I used wrestling a lot to tackle those challenges. All the employees there knew I was a wrestler and I was an athlete as a former wrestler. Just some relationships that I made when I was in the car business was pretty, pretty amazing. It felt like I was in a wrestling match every day trying to tackle all the things you tackle trying to be successful in, in, the, in the auto industry. It's a really tough business. And I kind of have come full circle because I was in the car business 14 years. Never thought I would ever come back to wrestling. I kind of walked away from wrestling. The thing I left out probably conveniently was when I trained for those four more years in 84, I didn't make the team. I got beat by David Schultz, another great American wrestler who's younger than me. I lost and I couldn't fulfill that dream even though that was, that was so I lost twice kind of in my mind. Dave went on to win a gold medal. I watched him win his gold medal in, uh, in LA. Uh, the boycott screwed up two Olympic games because in 84, the games were gonna be in Los Angeles and guess who boycotted the Soviet Union and or Russia and all their allied nations. But, but still, I mean, it was like a double disappointment 
that I that I didn't make the team. So I, I had to go forward still in my life, and that's you know where I previously talked about get my MBA and working in business and having the auto dealership and and all that. So when you did go to the Olympics to coach years later, what did it mean to you? And how could you use your experiences to help other individuals go after their goals? Well, you know, it was 38 years later, actually, from the 80 games, I think, something like that, to, uh, to 2008, quite a lot of years later. That all came about through another disappointment, I guess you could say. The auto industry took, was taking a huge downturn in 2007. In 2008, when Obama took office, he bailed out the auto industry. That's how bad things were getting. I went through a horrible divorce then. I mean, it was just a lot of things were crashing in my life at that time. And a good friend reached out to me and said, Lee, why don't you come to the our national world team trials? And it was kind of a homecoming when I went to the world team trials. And I, you know, I kind of got that fire back, I guess, of that feeling that I had when I wrestled. I connected with all the athletes. They remembered who I was, even though I was older. So I got back on the national coaching staff. I coached a junior team that went to China and competed. Uh, some of those wrestlers are current stars now. I coached uh, one of our senior teams. And then I, uh, I got to be the Olympic coach in 2008. So that was an amazing experience. I got to march in the opening ceremonies 38 years after I missed my opportunity. And I've kind of been around wrestling ever since. You know, I do clinics and coaching, and I try to motivate young men and women. You know, women are wrestling now, and they're doing an, uh, an amazing, amazing job. And, and now my son is wrestling. So that was another thing. My, my son's a senior in high school, so I'm trying to mentor him and and guide him a little bit. He's a good writer too. He's a good, uh, uh, very good in English, very good in storytelling and, and story writing and all that. So these points in your life that, that you're sharing that you say are disappointments, but you know, you'll, you'll start saying this was a disappointment, but then it shows to me like this overwhelming sense of resilience and moving forward, which is a quality I think we're all working towards. And so I can only imagine that there are great things in your future. So the second piece of this equation of our podcast is asking you, what is next? What's a goal that you're working towards? How do you want to get there? That's a great question because I have had to think about what what am I going to do with my life now? And I'm kind of almost glad in a way that things didn't go the way I thought because I would have just been very satisfied in all my success in wrestling. And there would have been some avenues maybe there that I could have earned some money. It would have been because of that success that I wouldn't have had to really venture out to gain other skills, to learn how to do other things. I never would have went into the business world as I had to. I worked in New York City for four years, and that was pretty competitive uh, for a major uh, consumer packaged goods company. Forced me to learn new skills. But right now what I realize is that Every industry and discipline, sports, business, anything, there is this overwhelming drive on how can we be successful, no matter what discipline that we're in. So a person like myself, I've found a way to motivate people, not just in athletics. I can motivate people in business. I can motivate people that are maybe in music, because it all, it all revolves around talent, but once you have talent, you've got to do something with that talent. 
and it requires the ability to, to be motivated. So the area that I am moving into now is motivational speaking. I find that that's an area that, that I think I could be very good at. I've listened to and studied and still study, just like I studied Dan Gable. I study a lot of great speakers. I love their messages, and I think I could be a good motivational speaker. I've got a lot, a lot of experiences, not as, only as an athlete, but in business, because I can remember some pretty tough days in business in the auto industry of trying to you know, keep that business afloat over those 14 years. You know, there's, it just reminds me of the, the toughest day I had in the wrestling room. You know, and even in school, I remember some of those days where you have to pull yourself up. I can remember, you know, when I went through my divorce, it was, you know, I mean, what divorce is a good divorce, I guess. And my kids were small at the time, and it was about a five-year period. I wasn't with my kids, so that was very difficult to have my daughter and son. My older son, it was he, he didn't come live with me, but my younger son and daughter came live with me when they were 10 and 16, and now my son now is wrestling. The last thing I thought ever that I would be coaching and being around my son as a wrestler. So we, we were developing that relationship together. Uh, we've got a trip planned to the UK where I'm going to be doing some speaking and coaching wrestling. So I'm kind of moving that whole direction in my life now, being able to motivate other people based on my life experiences. And there's a, there's a science to it as well, to success. And there's a common thread to all of it. And, um, you know, the quote, I, I wrote a book uh, called Winning Gold, and it's just a book of 75 messages, motivational messages. And at the very beginning of the book, I have a quote by Michael Jordan. And, you know, he talks about, you know, practice like you've never won, but play like you've never lost. And that's a quote that, that opens my book. So I have quotes from myself that I kind of thought of based on my career, other things that motivated me. And so I, I feel like no matter what setting I'm in, the conversation always leads to how can I be more successful? And then when I hear, when I hear the conversations moving in that direction, I'm like, well, I can help you with that because I know what it takes and I've been there. I've been, I've been at the top and I've been struggling too. And I've kind of been able to figure out how to get myself moving back up toward the top again. And, and, and you're never there permanently. It's, it's just a constant it's like paying your rent, you know. If you don't pay your rent, you're, you're going to get evicted. Just because you have the rent money this month doesn't mean you're going to have it next month. So it, it's a constant um, battle, really, to stay where you want to be, and that's ho hopefully on top. So how can people find you and learn more about your background and, and your current work or speaking engagements now? My website, just uh, leekemp.com, and all the information is there. I try to, um, when, I, when I do speak in venues, I mean, I, I try to promote them on Facebook and Twitter, and, and my Facebook and uh, Twitter and, and Instagram and all that is on my main webpage. You can find links to those from leekemp.com. Well, it's been an honor to hear your story. I'm by no means any kind of athlete, but the lessons that you've learned and that you've shared resonate with me. I think they'll resonate with all of our listeners. So thank you so much for joining me, Lee. Oh, awesome being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. Just know I'll be back. So this podcast is produced by me, Cindy Kuzma. And it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. 
You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a chance to leave us a rating or a review in Apple Podcasts or iTunes, we would be really grateful. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guests this week, Lee Kemp, and to Tech Nexus for the recording studio.